0: Welcome to our first episode of Short-Range Sensors, the show where we will journey to the final frontier of nostalgia, discussing everything from Star Trek merchandise to our favourite memories of growing up with Star Trek in England. I'm Alistair, and joining me is a man who always remembers to set his face at a flag. It's Mr. Trevor Whale. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? I am doing well. How about yourself, good sir? Yeah,
1: good, um... always look forward to talking about growing up with Star Trek stuff and Trek lifestyle stuff. So I think it's great, and hopefully for the listeners as well, that we felt that they're worthy enough to spin out into their own little sub-series. So yeah, I'm hoping this will work out well for everybody.
0: Indeed, because this show is, of course, a spin-off of our retrospective podcast, Long Range Sensors. For those of you who've listened to our early episodes, this show is what we previously referred to as our Trek Lifestyle segment. But now it's its own thing, and that gives us a lot more flexibility to make our shows even better. And what better way to kick off this series than to talk about the definitive Star Trek first-person shooter, the first and arguably best entry in the duology, is Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. Now, this was just an absolutely phenomenal game, Yeah. and I initially played it on the PC. How about yourself?
1: So when it came out, I mean, we're looking at it it was 2000, wasn't it? When it initially released, I wasn't a a PC gamer at that point in terms of, you know, gaming on, on, on a computer, you know, not a games console, like a, you know, a PlayStation or an Xbox or a Super Nintendo or whatever. I would, um, up until that point, it would have been a Commodore Amiga. In fact, that's you know pretty much my favorite gaming platform of all time is the Amiga, hmm. and that had Star Trek twenty fifth anniversary, which actually I also didn't play on uh, the Commodore Amiga. So yeah, at that point in time, I was really just playing on consoles. Uh, a gaming PC was very expensive even then. Prices had come down, but you're still looking at probably about a good uh, a, a grand really for something that would be able to run a game, modern games, current games like Voyager Elite Force. So I knew it was coming out. Um, I knew it was mm-hmm. a- around. But also, um, there was obviously a PS2 version. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't actually have a PS2 during that sort of generation, the sixth generation of consoles, as it as it sort of became to be known.
0: So you must have come into the the game a lot later then.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I can tell you, like, uh, I I didn't play it all the way through. I mean, through my sort of t- child teen years, which I would have been at that point in time, and young young adult twenties, mm. I'm not even sure if I played it. To, I might have dipped in and out of it briefly when it came a bit easier to play, sort of the older games. But in terms of like, like right, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to play it all the way through. It was actually very recently. It was a couple of years ago now that I actually um, purposely installed it, got a copy, installed it, and I played through the whole game and uh, completed it. Oh, wow. Okay. So very, very, very recently. I think I started off by thinking, you know what? It might be a bit easier to play the PS2 version because of the. it might be a bit, you know, I like to just be able to lounge around in front of the sofa, in front of the TV, in the sofa, um with a controller in my hand so i thought the ps2 version might be a bit better but i didn't really enjoy the ps2 version having sort of tried to get through a couple of missions on it but we'll get into that a little bit later Indeed. um yep. so yeah very recently very extremely uh recently that i actually finally got around to playing it
0: yeah it'll be interesting to we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it later but just your experiences yeah. really of it compared to yeah, you know what, what rather how it stands up today i suppose yes but, I mean, for me, I remember when the demo came out. I was all over that. That was the initial levels of Elite Force. It was basically just the the section at the very beginning uh, set on the Borg ship. Yeah, yeah. Which we, we find out is a holodeck simulation. Yeah. Uh, the The entire premise of the game, for those who aren't familiar, is that Voyager is lost in the Delta Quadrant, and Tuvok has made a hazard team, which are kind of like the Makos that we got in Star Trek Enterprise.
1: Wait wait a minute, wait a minute, Al. Voyager is lost in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, yeah. They kept that quiet.
0: (laughs) But, um, (laughs) yeah, but they they end up getting pulled into some realm where there's like a starship graveyard of sorts. Yes. Uh, And it, it ends up working a little bit like... The episode when they're in the void, where they're, they're suddenly pitted against other alien races and stuff. Yeah, but you are a part of this hazard team. Uh, you're going around all these different bases and things, and and some of them are so well crafted. Like the, my favorite one is the base where it's a mix of the. TOS era Terran Empire and the Klingons and the Malon and the Hirogen and it's basically just a, a starbase that's been mashed together with all these different ships, so you get all sorts yeah, of different flavours and stuff.
1: They've kind of been sucked into this, like a, like an alien force is kind of sucking them into this particular area of space. Um, yeah. And not just from the reality that Voyager occupy from all sort of Star Trek realities that we see, like the mirror U- universe, which is mm. a really interesting concept. I think it actually is supposed to take place around season six. Yes. Which is like, you know, 2000 when, you know, um, when, when season six was airing. So, yeah, I think, I mean, literally like checking out the details of memory alpha, it takes place sometime between live fast and prosper and muse. Mm. Oh, so, yeah, it is supposed to slot in there.
0: Um, yeah, and and from a like a chronology standpoint, I mean, they, they even had a few characters. I mean, obviously you've got all of your regulars like Janeway and Tuvark and Chakoti and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, but even some minor characters make their way in. You've got Vorik, who's in engineering, and yes. team. Uh, you've got Chell. You've got Girat. So they are bringing in characters that have been on screen as well.
1: Yeah, Chell is prominently featured in that episode, Learning Curve. That yeah. kind of rubbish season one finale, although like, isn't—I don't think it was really supposed to be the finale. They sort of chopped the last few episodes of season one off, mm. the end of season one, and added them to season two, the beginning of season two, for I don't know television corporate reasons that we don't really want to get into. But yeah, um, <laughs> and the same actor voices him in yep. Elite Force, so that's kind of cool. They did make an effort there to have yeah. links to the real show.
0: Same with Vorik as well. Vorik is the same yeah. actor for that too. He's in
1: multiple times, yeah, in yeah. the series, yeah.
0: It's it's so good. And I love that the very first bit is set on the holodeck. So when you actually end up going to an actual Borg cube, they just throw even more drones at you and it's even more of a, a threat. There was also a sequel. We're not going to go sort of too much into it, but I did find that the Borg felt more threatening in this version.
1: yeah. I think also like the sequel's a bit more polished and a bit more, I guess because you've already done it once in Elite Force. Perhaps you know you, you, the, the the wonder of being dropped into a first person scenario where it's surrounded by the Borg is kind of in itself is already kind of wow. This is really cool. Mm. So probably the the that sort of initial wonder at that kind of is, um, it, it isn't there in the sequel, even though the graphics are better and all. They use the same engine, actually the quake three engine. Yeah. Um, even though it looks a lot better. Well, it's amazing how much further they stretch that quake three engine yep. for the sequel. But yeah, you're right. The impact is a lot greater in that, in this first game, I think.
0: Yeah. I think they had a lot of influence from, I mean, as did a lot of games at the time from half life, they, they oh, yeah. kind of pulling in a lot of the puzzle solving and, and stuff. Um, I mean, it's kind of, simplistic puzzles uh you didn't really get much that was too complicated i'd say that the physics were a bit odd in it as to what would blow up and what wouldn't was always a bit strange but i mean that was very typical of the time as well anyway uh but they they did have a lot of really good stuff with voiceovers and interactions like all the all the characters that you meet like it's not like a like an rpg where you're going through all sorts of different conversations you're more just hearing banter between them and it just makes it feel a lot more lived in and a little bit more real, and it's just it's just funny hearing some of the characters poking fun at each other a lot of the time,
1: yeah, they have, I mean um, each sort of main mission where they go off to you know some kind of ship or something and to do a mission a- outside of Voyager. you have these in between kind of missions as well, but these bits where you're just on Voyager hmm. the aim is really to get to a point where you get briefed a two block to be sent off to the to the next mission, but you could just kind of wander around the ship. Um, and yeah, like you say, a lot of the other members of the crew and the rest of the Hazard team kind of talk amongst themselves and you can kind of walk up to them and you can, they just carry on talking. They'll actually acknowledge you sometimes um, mm. and you can like, like uh, click them and they'll, and they'll say, and there's little bits of dialogue between the characters. You can go into like the galley and Neelix will start talking to you if you go up to him. Yeah, You'll see the level of interaction is you know much smaller than what you would have in a modern game. We're talking about what they could fit onto a CD, I think. I don't think it, it would have been a DVD at that time. It was slightly before that.
0: Yeah, it was a CD-ROM, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think even the PlayStation 2 version probably came on a CD-ROM because a lot of uh, PlayStation 2 games did come on a CD-ROM. Not all of them were DVD um, on, like, the Xbox. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if it's a purple disc, that's a CD. If it's a DVD, it's just a regular-looking d- DVD.
0: I always just assumed that they were all DVDs on that, but I suppose it makes sense. Would keep them cheaper.
1: No, no, a lot, a lot of the earlier games, like like Ridge Racer Five and International Superstar Soccer and uh, things like that, that probably weren't didn't really need gigabytes upon gigabytes. Mm. Um, they they were just on on like a straight up CD-ROM. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. So yeah, the, basically there wasn't huge capacity to have massive dialogue trees like you're getting like mass effect or like you know knights of the old republic or anything but it's still very cool um it was that level of reality that it gave it like it was just live a place that was lived in
0: and yeah i i don't think i have wanted all those character trees to be honest i thought it was it was pretty relaxed the way that they did it and it it made yes. you want to do that more because you've got to explore a bit of voyager there's a cinematic of you going onto the bridge you get to basically leave the bridge or you get thrown in the brig Yes. If you, if you stick around too much to admire the, the scenery. But they did release an expansion disc and that had Virtual Voyager on it, which allowed you to tour the entire ship and see bits that we'd not even seen on the show. Yeah. Like the computer core was a big part of that.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to, I mean, I guess we can touch upon sort of like how it's aged or not aged, you mm. know. Um, it, it I mean, running it on a modern PC, you can sort of upscale it to quite modern re- resolutions in, in 4x3, albeit. Um, I think there are mods that will let you sort of make it into 16x9, but the cutscenes yep. and, you know, the menus will still be 4x3. Yeah,
0: some of the cutscenes were video, so, yeah, they just stretch out.
1: Yeah, I think I was playing it in, like, 1024 by 12 something I don't know what the 4x3 um, exact resolution was there. Hmm. It looked really crisp, and, and the actual, like you know the, the geometry of everything is obviously quite low mm. so you notice that mainly on the character models they're obviously still quite blocky yeah but the ship itself which doesn't you know you don't really need a lot of geometry to sort of render corridors and things that are quite you know quite shape uh, have quite square shaped things um look very cool and there's even things like reflection maps on like panels on the walls mm. quite basic ones quite blurry ones shadow maps are pretty good the textures are pretty decent. Obviously, the Star Trek look is quite clean on, on on Voyager itself, so uh they still look pretty good. So yeah, it hasn't aged too badly, apart from probably just those character models, especially when they're talking and they look kind of hilarious now. Yeah, But you can upscale it and it looks good.
0: Yeah, all the environments are, are really colourful as well. Yeah. And they, they still hold up. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously they had to do a bit more like be a bit more zany and outlandish with the alien ships. <laughs> and in some ways they haven't aged quite as well as the Voyager models. Mm. A lot of it kind of reminded me of Xbox Halo. When you're walking through like the alien ships, like especially when you're in like the Covenant in Alien, their sort of ships which tr- uh, in Halo, mm. um, in Alien. It's quite similar to Aliens, actually, the Halo games. But uh, that's a different discussion. Um, yeah, the Covenant ships quite sort of everything's quite shiny reflective purple colors lots of neon sort of colors and there's a lot of that in uh, Elite Four so yeah
0: that was interesting though they were quite similar there you're also mentioning kind of like the mods as well how you can you can change the aspect ratio and stuff there was a massive community driven modding scene for it as well for ages yeah yeah There was EFFiles.com was like the big one. And uh, I think it was owned by Filefront initially. They took everything down. So there's splatterings of mods still out there, but it's not as extensive now as it was back in the day when it was the latest thing. You could get all sorts of stuff. Like you had character designs where you could even change the hazard team to just having regular Starfleet uniforms, uh, which was one that I quite liked. Yeah, yeah, you know, you also had stuff for the Hollow Match, which was the add-on that they they had to it. So you had two modes: you had single player, and there was the basically a death match kind of thing that's set in the holodeck. Uh, so you can play as the Doctor and kill the entire crew. It's a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and or as Janeway and just go yeah. on a rampage on everybody. Yeah, yeah.
0: But people were making models like you could have Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Or Mickey Mouse, and there was all sorts of, of different character models that people were making for this thing. You could go around as the T eight hundred shooting everyone.
1: But yeah, modding is amazing. Um, Skyrim is pretty funny with that. Skyrim is an RPG that takes place in kind of you know in in a very similar to Lord yeah. of the Rings. But people have modded like your character to be like Superman or Sonic <laughs> the Hedgehog or Macho Man Randy Savage, yeah. and it's, it's it's hilarious. Yeah, modding is one of the best things about PC gaming.
0: Yeah, they they also did a lot of scripting. So there was a lot of add-ons. There was the Argus effect, which was a whole storyline over a few episodes for the original series. And so the whole thing just feels, it's basically one episode, but broken up into different acts. It was a fantastic mod. They only did the beginning and middle, and it's only recently that they actually completed it and did the, the final chapter for it. There was one based on Insurrection Alpha, based on the episode of Voyager, where
1: worst case scenario.
0: Yes, that's it. You know, where you've you've yeah, got yeah. two Vox own program that was a training thing and they all just thought it was this wonderful adventure. Uh, so you had that. And there was one that was done on Enterprise, so somebody had made basically an enterprise game in it. And they had a casting call for people to do voiceovers. And I applied for that and I actually got selected.
1: Oh, I wow.
0: was Yeah, I was going to be the voice of Corporal Ramirez, one of the Mako's on Enterprise. And sadly production shut down before i received an actual script so i'd gone through the audition uh i'd be told i was going to be doing it uh told a little bit about the character basically just reporting to read yeah yeah but then that was kind of it but i almost became a voiceover in a star trek uh fan mod which would have been a lot of fun that's amazing
1: yeah that would have been really cool
0: the modding scene was huge. It was it was absolutely great. Whether you were doing hollow match or doing these single player total conversions, and it's kind of a shame that that library of a lot of them is gone now.
1: Yeah, I think obviously it's the game is the PC version is still on sale on Good Old yep. Games GOG. I don't know if there's people in the forums there that um, are still like like offering it places where you can download some of these mods. Um, a good mm. resource generally for old PC games in terms of either just to get them up and running on modern hardware or where to find good mods and the modern communities for these is PC Gaming Wiki. Um, so it's mm. literally what I've just said in one line dot com, <laughs> um, and there's um, an Elite Force page. So if you are perhaps you've got the original CD ROM and you're trying to get it to work on Windows 10 or now 11. You can actually go on there and it's got lots of guides to how to get like widescreen resolutions working. It has um, links to the various patches, like the expansion pack and the 1.2 patch that adds in Jerry Ryan's voice. And obviously the expansion that gives you Voyager, like you mentioned, the whole ship is uh, you can walk around even to where um, fans are hosting multiplayer servers. So if you want to play death matches online, you still can PC gaming wiki has all of this stuff and yet a great site for just tons of old games uh, as well if you want to figure out a way to get them running it's in that really awkward period elite force where it's um it's actually a lot, a lot easier to get like ms dos games running in current uh gen machines mm. whereas windows games there's lots of issues and baggage to do with those old versions of windows and drivers and OpenGL um, issues and DirectX older versions and some of the um support software that some of these games use like video codecs and audio codecs for voices and the sort of mid-level middleware basically and it shows you ways of getting around all of this stuff so yeah that's a great place to jump to if you want to get it running today
0: yeah and i i'm running it on windows xp i've got an old mac mini from 2009 one of the final ones that dual booted to xp so i'm able to actually play it on the native os really yeah yeah. so that takes a lot of the stinger complication out for me oh yeah Yeah, so that that helps a lot. I I, I like that you mentioned as well about Jerry Ryan, because you're right, she was not the original Seven of Nine in the original release. All the cast returned for their roles. Yeah, it's kind of odd that Jerry
1: Ryan wasn't there initially.
0: I don't know. I think it may have been a scheduling conflict. Yeah. I can't recall exactly, but Joan Buddenhagen, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, was the person who provided the voice, and she didn't do a bad job. I remember it being pretty passable. It was obviously not Jerry, but... Still pretty passable, and then having Jerry Ryan come in as part of the expansion was just a really nice like bonus on that disc that we never really expected to have at the time.
1: Yeah, um, and Seven of Nine is quite is in the game quite a lot even before yeah. her. She was added in Jerry Ryan's actual voice, like she's basically made like a thing that can fire tiny photon torpedoes. <laughs> some of the weapons are pretty out there yeah you've obviously got just regular the type 2 phaser and the um the phaser rifles which are great they all sound just like they do in the tv show which is one Hmm. of the you know one of the great things about the shows you really feel like or uh, the the game sorry is you really feel immersed in the star trek universe because even the sound effects are all there i mean that's it just sounds great to be able to to interact with these things you know and not just have them presented to you in a stat in a sort of linear tv program that, that that you're you're watching
0: I, I always loved uh, using just the Type 2 Phaser and the Phaser Rifle, just trying to use those as much as possible, Yeah, just for that kind of I- impact and stuff. In fact, playing through the first levels, I can just breeze through within a few minutes because I just know it inside out. But I remember yeah. at the time back when I had the demo and then finally getting the game, I used to be terrified going around a Borg cube with Borg around every corner. I remember just how, how nervous... And how much anxiety i got from it and i kind of miss not having that just the idea of okay they're going to adapt to my phaser now i can get to the infinity modulator pretty quickly and it's just like now i can just blast away all the borg
1: they could have done with that in the tv series (laughs) you know it's kind of it's people who don't know the i mod as it's called shorthand um is basically a weapon that constantly modulates uh the 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 laser or the mother is a phaser Sort of beam that comes out, so the ball can never adapt to it. So, um, which is kind of probably a bit too overpowered to be in the show, because it would kind of you'd be able to just go and you know go on a ball cube, and they would never be able to adapt to you, and you'd be able to have a pro- you kill everyone on there without <laughs> yeah. any issues. Uh, but yeah, in the game, obviously, it's kind of a necessity because it probably would get very difficult to if you do be able to play an FPS which has the Borg in it a lot, if they just constantly adapt to your phases. Oh, um, that, yeah. There's
0: a wonderful mod for Quake the original Quake, that added the Borg to multiplayer maps. And the idea is that you just spawn in a Borg drone. It's just a a bot. And it will go around trying to kill you. And if it kills you, it assimilates your lifeless body and then turns it into a second drone. And then you get killed again, you get a third, and so on. And the thing is that you can kill them with the weapon that you have, but if you kill a drone, then when it respawns, it is adapted to that. So eventually you get to a point where you have no weapons that are effective you're just getting more and more drones appearing all killing you until your computer just can't handle the number of bots that are on the map anymore right, yeah I mean at least my computer can manage it now but back in the day like it would get to a point where it would just grind to a crawl it kind of like adds an element
1: of like horror and, and sort of thriller kind of element to the game yeah. perhaps in the original the normal ver- version yeah
0: That's it and so you get that feeling of okay now they're unstoppable and I've got no no way out. But yeah, for a game like Elite Force, so that wouldn't have worked. So I can understand. But there are times when you go to an area and it is disabled, like there's a field that's preventing it from working, for example. So they do try and balance it that way.
1: There is some scope, I think, as well for science fiction games um that have you know like that's that horror like and thriller and terror element. I think mm. Dead Space yeah. Um is probably the best example. I love Dead Space One. I'm actually playing through two at the moment. And that that game those games literally are one of the few that make me jump. They're that scary and they take place in very claustrophobic corridors of, of, a, of a spaceship and that are very dark. You can imagine like a Star Trek version of that, perhaps based on well, there's a great episode of Enterprise. It takes place in basically a zombified Vulcan ship. so you can imagine that would be a great game in the Star Trek universe, yeah
0: yeah the, the initial trailer had more realistic shielding. On the Borg when they were hit.
1: Oh right, yeah,
0: yeah. You know, that looks exactly like it did on the show, and right, then reverberates
1: it, around them type thing. Uh,
0: well, then it starts to wrap around the entire body on uh, in the game, and I don't know why they changed it. I think maybe the mechanic just didn't work, or it may have just been not obvious when, uh, probably for match that somebody was getting hit.
1: Maybe the effect was just a bit too difficult to implement from a graphical point of view. Yeah, maybe have impacted performance.
0: That's it. Yeah. It could be performing. Yeah. You know. I, I would imagine it may also just be for consistency in Hollow Match where you can at least see when somebody's getting hit a lot easier. Probably, yeah. Especially as it's over your weapon as well and your arm. So you can kind of see when you're being hit a lot more too. But there's, there's also a point where you're picking up the iMod for the first time. And there's a guy behind a force field. And he, I always love the fact that he was voiced by Tom Wilson, Biff Tannen from Back to the Future. Oh my
1: God, that's that's amazing.
0: Yeah, so of all the non-Star Trek cast, he was like the biggest voice actor in there, really. Maybe
1: he was required to put the second coat of wax on the shuttlecraft. <laughs> 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 quite quite likely. Quite likely. Did he, they didn't have any poo land on him at any time either, because obviously he hates manure, or, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's a cool little fact.
0: You know, it's all just recycled, isn't it, through uh, through the replicators now. So it's the, it's the exactly. best, best time for Biff to exist, really. Funny Commander Crew <laughs>
1: made this cameo appearance. You'd have like <laughs> the Doc and like and Biff in a in, in Star Trek game, which is really, really weird. But mm. but yeah.
0: <laughs> but one of the other interesting character things that they did, which they only did in the first one, they never did it in the sequel. And that's, they let you choose your gender. You could either be Alexander Monroe or Alexandria Monroe.
1: Yes, that's right. They didn't carry that through to the sequel, which is uh, kind of weird, but yeah.
0: Yeah, because they were trying to do a love triangle in the sequel. Yes. In this one, they weren't. But just the fact you could choose that, I mean, that that was really unique back then. Because this came out in, like, 2000 for the Mac and PC, and then it was 2001 for the for the PlayStation 2 and the expansion. Back then, just being able to choose your gender on the game, I think it's probably one of the things that also helps it stand up today.
1: Yeah, it's not a common thing these days, really. It's no. better now, but um, yeah, yeah mainly RPGs. Much...
0: I was going to say, yeah, RPGs are pretty much what it's limited to. So just to have that as a, yeah. as a general first-person shooter, especially when it's a vocal character.
1: Yeah, fully voiced.
0: Yeah, it's not just an avatar that's voiceless. But how, how was it for you then, coming into this game so late? Uh, obviously, you've talked about how the character models don't really stand up. But gameplay-wise, how do you feel it, it stood up coming in at such a late stage?
1: Um, well, it probably helps that I'm into like older games, so you know I mm. can put some I can put rose tinted goggles on, and um, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm I can tolerate some of the jankiness uh, a bit more than maybe you know someone in their twenties now that wouldn't have grown mm. up with this stuff and grew up probably during the maybe the seventh gen, you know, the Xbox 360 and the and the PS3 as their first consoles. They might you know probably would be. Could struggle with anything before that, but um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm not brilliant at mouse and keyboard controls. I never have been. Again, I wasn't a PC gamer as a kid. From, you know, there was obviously I had an Amiga, but the games there wasn't FPSs then, so you wouldn't really need to use a mouse and the keyboard for for that, apart from strategy games, really, and point and click adventures. So uh, you know, I don't really have the uh, the dexterity for that. But I was able to play through it with the keyboard and mouse, and it was it, it was really enjoyable. The missions like are pretty good. The puzzles can be a bit they're not too difficult, but there's not really a lot to help you with that without going into a guide. So if you do struggle with puzzles, mm. you know, they're kind of oh, the old of the old fashioned kind that are a little bit more cryptic than perhaps what you'll get now. Well nowadays, if you're stuck, there'll be a, a you know, a badge will pop up on the screen and say, Hey, you need to look over here. You know, like uncharted or something, you'll literally point you to the thing you need to do. And which some people might roll their eyes at, but I think it's, you know, there's a lot of people just don't like doing this stuff and they helping hand is appreciated. So there's the, that there's an element of that. Obviously getting it running is a bit of a challenge. I don't know if the GOG version is a bit better set up. It might be. Uh, It it should be
0: because yeah, they've got it working in a container to basically run on more modern hardware. Yes. Uh, I don't know how it is in terms of mods. Uh, I imagine it's not really any more challenging to Mm -hmm. install those, but but
1: there is the um the, the PS2 version well the PS2 version it does run at a lower resolution um i think it's even 640 by 480 i think it's slightly lower than, than that some mm. PS2 games did run at weird resolutions yeah and you're dealing with joypad controls they are modern joypad controls for the most part you know both one stick to aim one stick to look but there isn't any um auto aim interesting and most modern fps games do have quite a healthy dose of that mm. you can like in modern games you can dial it up and down but You do need a fairly decent amount of it in modern FPSs because, obviously, uh, analog sticks aren't as accurate as a keyboard and a mouse. So you might struggle with that a little bit. Um, And frame rate rise, it's kind of all over the place. It could go all the way up to 60 frames a second if you're just staring at a ceiling, Um, Mm -hmm. all the way to, you know, probably the the low teens if you're dealing with a whole bunch of Borg or bad guys or aliens on screen at once. But it's probably the one that needs the least setup. You just get the game, get the disc, slap it in a PS2. I played it on a PS3. But the caveat with that is you would need a PS3 that is backwards compatible with PlayStation 2 games.
0: Oh, yeah, one of, one of the earlier models for that. Yeah, yeah
1: one of the earlier ones. And um, there's a, a double caveat because in the UK, we got a later revision of the early PS2s that had some of the um, PS2 components removed. The original original PS3 had the graphics synthesizer processor and the emotion engine processor included inside the PS3. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two main sort of chips in the PS2 that you know the games run from. So they're in the original. I've got an original original PS3, so I can run. The compatibility is extremely high, nearly hundred percent, and the games basically run and look as as they would on a actual PS2 with only a handful of exceptions, and you're not likely to get one of those in the UK. So the version you'll probably have out of those early PS3s, I think it emulates the Emotion engine in software, and the graphic synthesizer is actually a chip in there. So I don't know how good it will run. There might be some extra issues, like glitchiness, um, with that.
0: Usual pitfalls of just trying to run old hardware, really. The, the, The other pitfall as well is Holomatch. The servers that they originally used for the game matching service uh, got all shut down. But there is a fan-made thing because it got released as open source. So there is a community who have made a modern implementation for HoloMatch. So there is now a way to play it online again. Uh, But that was a a challenge for quite some time where we, we couldn't do that at all. It was basically just you play locally with bots and that was about all you could do.
1: Yeah, I think the PC gaming wiki page again would be. I think I'm pretty sure it has where you could get onto these fan-run servers to be able to play Hollow yeah. match. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There was also a fan-run one that was uh, an RPG mod. I think it was called RPGX. Oh wow! And I remember logging onto there, and you would log in, and you they, like they'd modded a ton of other equipment, like you know engineering kits and stuff. You choose what kind of department you wanted to be in. And I remember one of the engineering kits came with a probe, and I wasn't entirely sure. What to do with it because it's a role playing thing, right? So rather than it yeah. being more of a game, and I went to somebody in engineering and started probing them uh, repeatedly, just going like probey, 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 <laughs> probey. Uh, I didn't realize that was the uh, server admin and I got banned. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it's the only time I've misbehaved like that, just going around probing somebody just as a way of trying to figure out how does this work and, um, <laughs> and then getting kicked and banned.
1: Never probe your server, admin. If you can help, no,
0: it. no, no. So that was that was a very short-lived experience on on that mod and on the the server that they were running it on. But uh, but it it was it was Great. fun and it was interesting. But the the RPG thing, I don't think was really for me at that time, anyway. No, yeah,
1: it's more like I said, it's very much an action adventure kind of game. Mm. The campaign isn't that long. I mean, it is divided up into missions. I think there's 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 like look, there's eight of them. I think each one, I think probably about at most would be about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to get through at a sort of leisurely pace. You could probably do the whole game, you know, I'm sure if you speed speed ran it, it would only be about three or four hours. I think it took me about eight or nine to do at a casual sort of pace. And there's like a giant boss battle at the end, which is quite, quite epic. My kind of final thoughts on it, are, it's still a really fun game especially if you're a Star Trek fan, I'm not sure, a random person who not necessarily would buy into the fact that it's a Star Trek game. But if you're a Star Trek fan, it might be the best Star Trek game out there, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the sequel isn't as good, but it's still good. You could probably probably get them, bundle them together, really, as one. I think it's probably the best Star Trek game to date.
0: Yeah, aside from some of the text adventure ones, a lot of other games have just been kind of reskins of what other games are like, whereas this one really felt atmospheric you felt like you were part of the crew you actually felt like you were in an episode which was really cool y- yeah and, yeah you know you get into a fight with the borg with species 8472 the light so it just brings in all the familiar faces that voyager had uh had really kind of gone against it at that time
1: yeah and a lot of the other the star trek games of the day were really um and sort of for the years afterwards were, were tactical strategy games which yeah uh turn-based strategy games i'm not really into those maybe i'll play a bit of civilization or SimCity. But um, never been into those, particularly I'm, I much prefer action-orientated games. Mm. Obviously, we've had some of those in recent years, like the terrible like 2013 Trek game, but this still holds <laughs> up as a really good Star Trek game. I would love like a remaster or maybe just a modern Star Trek game that is an FPS. That would be great.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of shown that it can be done. And And for anybody who really wants to get into the story of the game, but perhaps can't access it there is a comic book that was made along the same time we've spoken about it in a previous episode of long-range Sensors as well yeah but there was one made by wildstorm comics if you're able to get your hands on it i i have a copy and it's, it's fantastic it focuses more on the borg than it does the forge and that race but it was made in conjunction with the game so you had raven developing the game wildstorm with the comic and they were going back and forward collaborating on it and sometimes pulling ideas from the other which is also a very interesting way of crossing mediums really
1: yeah it happens a lot these days but yeah back in the day that wasn't common around no, that time and,
0: uh, and it was certainly wildstorm's first time ever doing that as well when they were sort of producing the comic but that that was a fantastic kind of thing that that i got i think in the u.s you could get it as part of a collector's edition that came yeah. with soundtrack as well but oh, well. um, I was able to pick mine up just uh, individually for it.
1: Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I- I'm a big comic fan. I do like Star Trek comics. so I actually mm. need-, need to grab that and check it out. The story is a very interesting in elite force as well. So yeah, it'd be great to sort of have an expansion upon that. Definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely a, a well worth game checking out if you have not done already. And, that wraps up this episode of Short Range Sensors. If you enjoyed it, you'll probably enjoy our other series, Long Range Sensors, where we take a detailed look at an old episode from the Star Trek franchise. Plus, you can also join the crew to support us and get access to Subspace Live, where we hang out with our subscribers to talk about all the latest things going on in the Star Trek universe. Which brings us to the latest member of the crew, Devin Scarrata, who joins us as our eighth founding member. To find out more about these great shows, head over to longrangesensors.com. You can also find out everything I'm up to online by beaming over to my website at alistairmcfly.com. And I also host Console Shock, a podcast all about modern and retro video games, and you can find that at consoleshock.net. I'm at Alistair McFly on Twitter. I'm Henry Jones Jr. on Twitter. And you've been listening to Short Range Sensors, where we've learned never to probe our server admins. <laughs>